Hey guys, I just want to take a moment here at the beginning of the episode to invite all of you to come alongside the Bible Chat Podcast ministry. Right now, we're doing an awful lot to update the audio, update um, the type of content we're putting out, getting better interviews and all of that stuff, and I'm sure some of you have noticed. I just want to ask that if you've been blessed by the ministry, that you'll come alongside us in simple ways following us on Instagram, liking and sharing the episodes with friends and family, following us on the Facebook page, and also, if you feel generous, to follow us on Patreon and become a patron of the podcast. There's so many things that I have in store for you guys coming down the lines, live streams, video, YouTube channel, all these sorts of things, but I can't do it alone. So far, the entire podcast has been funded out of pocket for me, buying the equipment and doing all of the work. And while it's great and it's such an awesome opportunity and I'm grateful for all of the following, if you do want to see some new things come out, some different types of content like video and live stream, then Honestly, I'm just asking that you'll come alongside and help make that possible. Not only will it be a blessing for you and for us here at Bible Chat, but also for friends and family that you want to share with. Just will upgrade the quality of the podcast itself. I promise anything that you give to us will go directly back into the podcast, which means it goes back to you guys, the listeners. Uh, right now on three of the tiers on Patreon, we are giving away merchandise as a thank you for coming alongside and being a patron of the show. So please consider that. Also, I wanted to address the uh, the interview that you're about to listen to, we where we're interviewing uh, Christian author and apologist Tim Stratton, and we talk about another type of doctrine called Molinism. Most Protestant believers fall into two categories, either a Calvinist or an Arminian, but there is another branch. Imagine my surprise when I found that out, because I've never heard this addressed before. I heard him on a different interview, but it's called Molinism, and I think that you guys will really be blessed by this episode, and maybe it'll even help you to understand the Bible and God in a new and interesting way. Um, if you do enjoy the content, I really do encourage you guys to check out Tim Stratton. He's on Facebook, and also to listen or to f- check out his podcast and his ministry, Free Thinking Ministries, and also his book, Mere Molinism. All of these things are great resources, and I promise you, if you do check them out, that you're going to enjoy the content. Tim's an interesting guy. Not only is he a theology nerd, not only is he a doctorate and professor and an author, but he's a comic book nerd. So even his takes, his uh, his takes on movies and comics and things like that are fun to listen to or read, and you'll be able to get all of that through Free Thinking Ministries. So I hope that you're blessed by the episode. Thanks for ch- checking us out. I'll talk to you again at the end. Welcome back to Bible Chat, guys. I'm your host, Caleb Sowers, and thanks for joining us for another interview episode. Uh, Today, we have a special guest. We have Christian author and apologist Timothy Stratton uh, joining us to talk a little bit about Molinism. So, you know what? Let's just dive right into it. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry, Tim. 
Hey, well, first, thank you for having me on, on your show, Caleb. It's a, a honor, and uh, it's just, uh, you know, I've just really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit before we started recording. So yeah. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, my name is uh, uh, Tim Stratton. You know, my official uh, published name is Timothy A. Stratton. That's what's on the cover of my book, but uh, just please call me Tim. And uh, okay. I, I'm married <laughs> to an awesome... Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm married to an awesome wife. Her name is Tia, and I have an 18-year-old son named Ethan, who just finished an awesome wrestling career uh, and is about to graduate high school. So I'm not really prepared for that, uh, <laughs> not quite yet. But wow, uh, time flies. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you a little bit more about me. Um, I was raised in what might be the best Christian environment of all time. Uh, my, my mom and dad, uh, Russ and Suzanne Stratton raised my sister and I, my, my sister's name is Jessica. And they, they raised us by connecting Christianity to the things that we were interested in growing up. So uh, really, it was kind of a fun childhood and any opportunity to connect uh, fictional stories uh, that I enjoyed to history and to ultimate reality. Uh, that was always seized <laughs> by my parents, uh, especially when it comes to Star Wars. I mean, I, I grew up with Star Wars, um, became a, a Christian, basically almost simultaneously with the release of the first Star Wars movie when I was four. And I remember this. So I grew up basically walking with Jesus on one side and Luke Skywalker on the other. But my parents were always able to show me what's what's fiction and what is ultimate reality, but how the best stories always take from the ultimate uh, historical story and ultimate reality. Um, in yeah, C.S. Lewis was kind of like that as well. That was oh, yeah. his approach too, was tying the fairy tales into the, the gospel and explaining how they just reveal truth. That's right. So that's awesome. And that, yeah, so, and, and so I'm glad you said that. So not only was it <laughs> Star Wars, but Narnia all the time. I mean, I, okay, yeah. <laughs> my parents were always reading me Narnia books and talking about told. Tolkien and, and the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. And then of course, superheroes and comic books, they, right. They were all employed to help me understand truth and make connections to ultimate reality, Christian theology. So, like I said, I, I became a Christian at around age four. I remember praying the prayer. Um, and that was almost simultaneous with the release of star Wars. Anyway, as I grew older then, and, and I got into ministry, uh, not only, I mean, it was a great story, right? But I, I wanted to see if Christianity, if the story of Christianity, was it really true or, or was it just a great fictional story as well? And so I wanted to see if there were really good reasons to think that the story of Christianity was true and not just a great story. Was there evidence to support uh, the existence of God and the, the historical claims of the resurrection? Is there a reason to think that Christianity is true? So I devoted my life then, I, I probably started that journey around 2008, and ever since then, I've, uh, you know, I've been on this journey uh, devoted to reason and evidence, and basically I've devoted my life to apologetics, theology, and worldview. And I've got to tell you, I've found, uh, I found powerful evidence, so much evidence that my faith is now much stronger than it ever was before. Um, so I'm really able to enjoy I think uh, these fictional stories that do uh, reflect uh, elements of uh, 
ultimate reality and, and the gospel message of Christ, which is a true historical story. So, um, yeah, I think uh, my, my passion for good, uh, good stories like Star Wars and uh, superheroes and, and all that, it's, <laughs> it's increased since I've seen the truth of Christianity. And I, I, I just love to find um, elements of a good story and how it, it borrows, if you will, from uh, Christianity. In fact, I just did a, a, a YouTube uh, show where we were talking about uh, how the Justice League, how uh, Zack Snyder's latest uh, version of the Justice League, how that um, emulates uh, some of the, uh, you know, ultimate truths of reality, if you will. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah if your listeners want to subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel, so the Free Thinking Ministries YouTube channel, just just uh, search Free Thinking Ministries and you'll find it. Make sure you subscribe and uh, you can listen to me talk about those kinds of things all the time. Yeah, oh, that would be cool. Yeah, the, uh, cr- Christian nerddom. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's no, awesome. no, it's good to be a, a scholar and a good theologian who also can relate to, to regular people and right. understands, uh, you know, I mean, the movie theater is a great place to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, think about it, even, even biblically, um, you, you can see hints of that. Uh, I always point to when people ask if, if, if I'm wasting my time by reading comics or enjoying like, uh, board games and things like that. Um, you point to, um, Paul, uh, before the Areopagus, and he's quoting oh, yeah. he's quoting uh, Greek epics and poems to the Greek intelligence uh, there, and uh, so obviously he liked a good story too because he, he's li- that 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 verse that people quote all the time in him we live and move or live and breathe and have our being is, yeah. is actually a Greek poem about Zeus. So apparently he likes wow. stories too. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so if <laughs> yeah, Paul's he, a nerd, I think I'm say, allowed to be one too. <laughs> that's right. He's, a, he's able to enjoy things, uh, good stories that he knows aren't true, mm-hmm. but then he's also willing to die for what he knows is true. Absolutely. And make connections between the two. And that's what we're doing. Exactly. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your book. I know that the title is Human Freedom, Divine Knowledge, and Mere Molinism, a Biblical, Historical, Theological, and Philosophical Analysis. Um, and how does That's a long title. It's a very long title, but um, <laughs> just I know that you refer to it short. just yeah. Mere Molinism. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So um, tell us a little bit about Molinism and how, how does it relate to the other two major schools of thought, uh, Calvinism and Arminianism. Yeah, so I'll, I'll try to keep this kind of simple. Okay. But in a nutshell, uh, Molinism, or, or what I describe as mere Molinism, is uh, the view that humans possess uh, what we call libertarian free will or libertarian freedom. Okay, so that's, that's uh, one key ingredient. And then also that God knows how humans would freely choose before God creates anything, right? So before God says, let there be, God, an omniscient God would know how these beings with free will would freely choose if he chose to create us, right? So, so those are the two key ingredients, that humans have this uh, free will or libertarian freedom and that God knows how humans will freely choose or how humans would freely choose 
logically before God says, let there be and creates the universe. And so that means uh, God has something called middle knowledge. So anyway, I can get much more technical than that, but that's a good way to begin understanding Molinism or what I, what I call mere Molinism is simply that affirmation that to say that God has middle knowledge and humans have free will in a libertarian sense. So um, to answer your question about how it's similar uh, to the other views, I would say that Molinism is similar to Calvinism. Um, well, first of all, to say that Molinism, you know, it's a, to be a Molinist, you have to affirm something called middle knowledge. And it's interesting because I think that Molinism is kind of in the middle, as it were, um, between Calvinism and Arminianism. I think it makes, in my, you know, I've said it this way before, it, it takes the good from both uh, and takes it for its own and then spits out all the bad stuff that comes along with both views and gets rid of it. So you're left with all the good and none of the bad from both uh, sides, or, or so it seems to me. So let me compare it to Calvinism here. Um, Molinism is similar to Calvinism because both uh, Calvinism and a Molinism affirm that God predestines all things all the time, right? Exhaustively, everything is predestined. Uh, but where we disagree, uh, the Calvinists and the Molinists disagree on how God predestines. So it's really kind of a stupid uh, disagreement but this disagreement um you know it's there's some harsh <laughs> division or some sharp division here so um so we both agree on the predestination of all things but we disagree on the how god predestines now the calvinist asserts that god can only predestine something by causally determining it to happen or forcing it as it were through his power Right? So they're really focused on God's omnipotence and his power, that God can make it happen. So they've got to say that God, uh, the, the technical term for this is causal determinism. So that God, they'll say that God causally determines everything about humanity. That includes all of your thoughts, all of your beliefs, all of your judgments, all of your evaluations, mm -hmm. all your actions. Everything about you is causally determined by God. Now, I should say that not every Calvinist holds this view, but it seems to be a majority uh, of Calvinists today. And it seems uh, like more of them are moving into that camp, too. It, it seems like does. it keeps and getting think, more rigid as time goes on. I, I think you're right. And I think that, you know, as I explained in my book, I think the real culprit here isn't Calvin. Um, it's Jonathan Edwards. So a lot of people who are really Edwardsians or followers of Jonathan Edwards are calling themselves Calvinists. Mm -hmm. I don't think Calvin uh, would affirm um, this, uh, this, what I call uh, Ed, you know, thinking of Edwards, I call it Ed, mm -hmm. exhaustive divine determinism. Oh, wow. um, nice. So I don't think, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think uh, Calvin would affirm Ed. No, um, uh, but I don't think a lot of the classical Calvinists would uh, really affirm all of that determinism either. And when you look at that, um, interaction between Arminianism and Calvinism and how they butt heads all the time. And you can look at historically like Whitfield and Wesley and how they interacted and they were best friends, but, but disagreed. And yet yeah. 
now you can't you cannot one side's always attacking the other and they are not willing to work together they will not budge right so, well now now in my book i do try to build bridges and show how uh even a five-point calvinist can get on this bridge with the uh mirror molinist even though i reject five-point calvinism personally i show how they can um start to uh how we can at least start to move closer um, to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but um, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and in my book, I survey many theologians um, and uh, you know, from the past and even currently, um, I, I think you're right that most of these reformed theologians, especially in the past would have rejected this Edwardsian view. Um, but Edwards has had a big impact on many uh theologians today and i think like i said he's the he's the real culprit here and i think he's uh he's wrong um but so like i said uh the molinist and the calvinist though even though they disagree on how god predestines we both affirm that god predestines all things all the time so there's some some common ground you know mm -hmm. uh when i'm talking to calvinists i'm like hey at least let's let's both agree and, and see that the other affirms uh, exhaustive predestination. And now we can see, wow, um, why should we care about the how? Why should we care about how God predestines? Well, I think it's important. Um, I think that if God predestines via causal determinism or exhaustive divine determinism, then uh, there's several problems that arise. Ultimately, God becomes the author of evil. Um, he becomes a deity of deception mm -hmm. or you know, I compare him to Loki, the god of mischief, uh, because if that's the case, and every time a human gets something wrong, even a Christian, even an elect Calvinist gets something wrong, God causally determined that to occur. God, mm -hmm. ma God made it happen. Well, uh, that would mean that he God created causally... pride in the heart of Lucifer, even, or, yes, or whatever everything. you want to do there. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so I think it's a big problem to, to affirm this view because God becomes then the deity of deception. But scripture is clear that God cannot lie, right? And but if God is the deity of deception, it seems to be uh, that that seems to contradict uh, scripture's own words. Um, now, that's one big problem. Another problem is if uh, we run into rationality problems, humans become uh, unable to rationally infer uh, better true beliefs over false beliefs, uh, because whenever we affirm a false belief, well, we were causally determined to do that. And so there's no opportunities then to infer better beliefs. Um, and also if, uh, if one says, well, a deity of deception has assured me that, uh, X is true. Well, now we've got an undercutting defeater because why should you believe a deity of deceptions assurances about anything? Uh, so, so there's just multiple problems and also gets into problems uh, regarding love and things like that. But, um, I've got an article, probably a good introduction article called the best kind of love on my website, freethinkingministries.com. Um, people might be interested in looking at, but yeah, bottom line, Calvinists and Molinists both affirm exhaustive predestination. But in my book, I show that predestination does not mean, uh, uh, causal determinism and in fact that god can predestine uh free creatures to act 
freely in a libertarian sense, but God can still predestine that. So um, now the Calvinist disagrees typically that and says, no, the humans do not have libertarian freedom. Uh, now, not, again, not all Calvinists, but many do. There's uh, uh, Greg Kokel comes to mind. He's a Calvinist, a five-point Calvinist, a great apologist. Um, and he affirms that humans have libertarian freedom. Good for him. Um, uh, Al Alvin Plantinga considers himself to be a, a Calvinist. He is one of the leading advocates of libertarian freedom. Um, I could name others, but uh, the, like you said, the majority of, it seems anyway, I, I haven't done an official uh, study on the numbers here, the percentages, but it sure seems to me that most of the uh, Calvinists I interact with today are are ed folks, exhaustive divine determinists. So uh, I argue against that determinism, even though I affirm predestination. So that's what we have in common with the Calvinist. Uh, Molinism uh, is similar to Arminianism. Uh, now, remind me, um, Church of the Nazarene, they would normally be Arminians, right? Yeah, they, they're Wesleyan holiness. So yes, they're, they're Arminians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you that Molinism is definitely compatible with that. In fact, in my book, I show that a good case can be made that Arminius was actually a Molinist. Uh, uh, you know, he was in the closet because he was a reformer, died <laughs> yeah. in good standing with the reformers. Mm -hmm. um, at one point, uh, the way I understand it, he was accused of being, quote unquote, too Catholic. And so uh, he wasn't going to start quoting a Spanish Jes Jesuit monk. Um, uh and so he kind of plagiarized Molina a couple times um, because he couldn't reference him and stay in good standing with the reformers. Um, and so because he was Catholic, right? Uh, Molina was Catholic. Now, um, now a lot of people, you know, I'm Protestant. So a lot of people who aren't Catholic will say, well, you, you can't affirm uh, Mol Molinism because he was a Catholic Jes Jesuit monk. And I'm like, well, that's the genetic fallacy. Who cares where it came from? If he's right, he's right. Right. Exactly. It doesn't matter if I'm Catholic or not. You know. So let's exactly. look, and let's yeah. look at the logic of uh, and his and his theology here, and and weigh that, that on its own merits. But um, anyway, Molinism is similar to Arminianism because both views affirm uh, the libertarian freedom of man and the omnibenevolence of God, which is really incompatible with Calvinism at the end of the day. And I mm -hmm. talk about that quite a bit in my book. Um, and we both affirm uh, uh, foreknowledge. Now, oftentimes where the split then comes is some Arminians will only hold to simple foreknowledge and not middle knowledge. But once you explain middle knowledge to most Arminians, I find that they have no not much of a problem coming on, come on, coming on over to Molinism. So mm -hmm. uh, let me explain for, you know, so you got foreknowledge. Um, well, you got, okay. You got natural knowledge. We're, we're talking about what an omniscient God knows before creation. Okay. So, so let's think about God before he says, let there be and creates the universe. So logically prior to creation, what does God know? Well, he knows, he has what's called natural knowledge. And that means that God knows, you know, in a nutshell, and, and to keep it simple, I'll say that God knows everything he could do, right? What is logically possible? God knows everything he could 
actualize, right? Now, the key word there is could. He knows everything he could do. He knows all that he could create. He knows all kinds of creatures he could create and what kind of environments he could place them in. So the heavy emphasis on the word could, right? Um, God knows everything he could do. God knows everything that an omnipotent being such as himself could accomplish. All right, so uh, God knows everything he could do. Well, then an omniscient being who's also, okay, an omnipotent being seems to have the power to create free creatures. And so then an omniscient being would also know what these free creatures within his power to create, how they would, see, I didn't use the word could, now God knows how these free creatures would freely choose if he created them, and even if he never does create them, okay? So, so one doesn't even have to affirm that we have free will in the libertarian sense. Uh, all you have to say here is that, yeah, God has an omnipotent God has the power to create free creatures, and an omniscient God knows how these free creatures would freely choose if he creates these free creatures, even if he never does. Now, that's middle knowledge. That's what we mean by middle knowledge. So I, I contend that any omnipotent and omniscient being must possess middle knowledge. Um, and obviously, when I say any omnipotent omniscient being, I'm referring to the only God. <laughs> right, so, right, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, um, all right. So then God creates. And now God knows all that will happen and how every free creature will freely choose. Now, see, the word that I'm using now is will. It's not could, it's not would, but it's will. And so that's now foreknowledge. God knows everything that will freely happen. Um, so now the, a lot of times Arminians only focus on the will, but not the would. Now, now most, once they understand this, uh, come to see, wow, well, if I affirm that God knows everything that he could do and uh, God knows everything that will happen, they, it, it soon becomes obvious that there's all these woods. And for your uh, listeners who have uh, watched um, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, uh, this isn't a perfect analogy. Uh, no, and you know, analogies are rarely perfect. That's why they're analogies. But a good way to start to understand this a little bit is to look at what Dr. Strange does when he looks at all the possible futures or um, what was, uh, I can't remember the, the, how he described it, but all these um, possible futures. Um, and he realizes, hey, there's only one possible future in, in which we defeat Thanos. And so Dr. Strange does what it takes to actualize that, uh, to, to make that possible future, mm -hmm. the actual future. And so Dr. Strange, uh, really at the end of the day, it wasn't Tony Stark. Uh, I mean, he played a role, a huge role. Um, <laughs> it wasn't Captain America or Thor or anybody else. It wasn't Captain Marvel. It was Dr. Strange who really created the only possible, the, the only future in which they would freely defeat thanos and so mm -hmm. <laughs> um so i have got a couple articles on my website about that if people would like to uh, go there and you know search well, for dr strange and avengers right. and you can read more about that i actually heard you um over on my 
my friend's podcast, uh, the church split. And I heard you interviewed yeah. by, by Will over there. And, uh, that's actually the first time I ever heard of Molinism was while you were on that show. And I remember mm. listening to that and thinking to myself, this is what I've always believed, but I described it completely differently. I've always been an Arminian in that I always believed that you had to accept Christ's sacrifice. He can't, it wasn't, I didn't take that Calvinist uh, approach of, right. you know, he picks you and he died right. for the elect. Yep. And so you're going to be essentially forced into salvation. And whenever I've tried to explain how that works or what that, what that belief is, um, was I always went back to my childhood and I don't know if you remember them or not, but do you remember the choose your own adventure novels? Oh, because man. that's the way that I I've always explained yeah. it was an author sat down and they wrote that book. And some of those could be monstrous. I remember some of those choose your own adventure novels being upwards of like 300 pages sometimes uh, when, yeah. and when you're a kid, that's a big book. And so all the possible choices that you can possibly make, all the possible endings, all the possible outcomes of every choice, that author knows them all, but it's up to you to decide mm -hmm. which ones you make. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's always, yeah. and some were bad, some were good. And, you know, I mean, I that's yeah, right. the way I always explained it. I, I don't know how well, well yeah. that works, but... <laughs> it's close. Like I said, there's no perfect analogy, but again, exactly. those stories... Those choose your choose your own adventure stories uh, really work as a as a way to start to understand um, mm -hmm. what's going on here. Um, but yeah, if somebody says this is exactly how it works, well, don't do that. Just say no. This no. is a way to start to understand this. Um, but yeah, you get to choose. Are you going to choose? Uh, you know, turning to this page or to that page. The choice is up to you. Um, but yeah, so uh, I think. Um, the, the Molinist and the Arminian uh, have a lot in common because we, uh, we, we both affirm um, uh, foreknowledge and uh, human free will. And so it's very close. In fact, I think uh, a good case can be made. I discussed this in my book and on my website that a good case can be made that Arminius was actually an in the closet Molinist. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he he couldn't he couldn't come out of the closet and be and, and tell everybody he was a um, a Molinist, <laughs> but because uh, he'd be affirming uh, Catholicism there uh, amongst the reformers. But mm -hmm. I think he uh, I think he probably was. Uh, Tom McCall um, has he's a scholar, an Arminian scholar, who believes that. Uh, it's accurate to call Arminius a Molinist. Kirk McGregor, one of the leading Molinist scholars in the world today, doesn't think that you should call him and uh, call Arminius a Molinist. But there's debate there. Um, so yeah, um, there. Whatever the case might be, there's a lot in common that the Molinist has with Arminianism, mm -hmm. and a lot in common that the Molinist has with calvinism so it's a view in the middle and i think that's one, one reason right. to uh, conclude that well maybe it's onto something since it's kind of in the middle of these two views now about my book just really quickly sure uh um i begin my book uh, chapter one discussing hermeneutics and how to properly interpret scripture chapter two is then focused on the biblical data so we talk about how to interpret scripture then we examine scripture 
And then from chapters 3 to 11, I survey the great theologians of church history, from Augustine to Aquinas to Luther and Calvin, and, you know, through the, uh, the Synod of Dort, and then on to Jonathan Edwards. Um, and then later, I, I survey Molina, uh, Luis de Molina, where we get the name Molinism from his last name, Molina Molinism, right? Um, but then I get into the philosophical and theological arguments, and then ultimately into uh, apologetics. So, um, but like I said, it seems to me that all of these theologians, from Augustine to Edwards and onto Molina, you know, all, all these guys, except for Edwards, uh, either affirm what I call limited libertarian freedom or are open to it. Only Edwards, it seems to me, re like ex explicitly rejected the view. Um, uh, that you now I should I should define libertarian freedom by uh, libertarian freedom. I'm, I can mean it one of two ways. Number one, if if you act or choose or judge or evaluate whenever you're doing any of that, uh, and that's not causally determined by something or someone other than you, then you've got libertarian freedom. So when you make a choice or when you uh, do an action, if that's up to you and not causally determined, by something or someone else, then you have libertarian freedom. Now, another way to define it is, well, that, that first way is what I call sourcehood libertarian freedom. If you're the source and not causally determined by something or someone else, uh, welcome to the land of the free in a libertarian sense. <laughs> uh, however, uh, there's another way to understand it. And so that is if you ever have the ability uh, at the moment of choice to choose among a range of alternative options, that are each compatible with your choosing nature at that moment, uh, then you've got libertarian freedom as well. So that's basically a nice way of say, saying the ability to choose one way or the other, or the ability to choose otherwise, right? But if you've got multiple choice options, each compatible with your nature at the moment of choice, that means you can do more than one thing, you've got the opportunity to do more than one thing, then you've got libertarian freedom also. Now, there's some times where I argue for this ability to do otherwise. This or this opportunity to exercise an ability to perform one way or the other, and you can do either one or one of the other. Um, sometimes I argue for that. Sometimes I can't uh, prove that much, but I can show, well, in this situation, you can't be causally determined by someone or something else. And if that's the case, you've still got libertarian free will. So um, I'm most concerned with that sourcehood freedom, but sometimes when I think it comes to rationality, we have to have um, real access to these other options or otherwise we don't stand in an epistemic position to rationally affirm um, at least most of our beliefs. Um, so anyway, uh, that's a little bit about my book and some of the things I talk about there. Awesome. That's great. Um, I remember from your your interview again on the church split a lot of that uh, i'm going back to just for source but i remember you you grew up um or or you found yourself at least in um uh, in a reformed church or or you were a practicing yeah. calvinist and then you sort of discovered this molinist view um wh what was it that sort of changed you or changed your mind and le led you down this road and in, into molinism and, and apologetics and all of that yeah, I, I don't think, uh, I want to say I was, I wasn't taught Calvinism by my parents. Um, it's just, it just never came up. Um, 
but I did find myself being a Calvinist. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and that was because of, uh, primarily because of my pastors, uh, all my pastors were Calvinists. Um, and, uh, what's funny is my former pastor that I had in college or in high school and, uh, some of college who was such an influence on me, uh, regarding Calvinism, um, as I became a Molinist and, uh, you know, started sharing some of the stuff with him, um, we argued back and forth for, for a long time, but now he's a Molinist as well. He's left his, uh, his Calvinism and uh, affirms Molinism. And now he actually works for Free Thinking Ministries part-time. He's wow. uh, retired as a pastor now, but helps me out a little bit here and there. And uh, so it's kind of crazy how that, you know, how, how that came around full circle. The guy that was mostly responsible for, for my Calvinism um, is no longer a Calvinist and uh, is a Molinist. But, but I was a hardcore, uh, not just a, a Calvinist, but an Ed guy for years, right? Exhaustive divine determinism. I believe that God causally determined everything about me and everything about everything all the time. And so I was, I was hired then at a church in 2006. So when I was hired there, I was a Calvinist and it was a large church and every single pastor and staff person, I think we had around 25 people on staff. Uh, everyone, as far as I knew, was a Calvinist. I know all the pastors were, all the teaching pastors were Calvinists. And I think everybody else was too. Um, and so I was a youth pastor at the time and I would teach exhaustive divine determinism to my youth group and anyone else who would listen to me. Um, so I would say not only was I a Calvinist then, but I, I was growing stronger in my Calvinism. And I was Maybe, you know, it's what they refer to as the cage stage, Calvinist. Yeah, that's what I was actually going to ask. That means. The cage stage, yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that was me. Uh, they, it would have been better for me to be locked in a cage um, than to be in public. And actually, it would have been better for me to be locked in a cage than to, uh, for, uh, you know, instead of me being around my wife. Because this led to many, many fights between my wife and I. Um because she was raised as an Arminian. And I've got an article, if people want to read into this more. Uh, and, you know, I, it's a humorous but sad story. In fact, William Lane Craig read uh, much of this article on his Defenders podcast once. Um, but it's called Molinism Saves Marriages. And it was about how, uh, I mean, really, the only time that I ever spent the night on the couch is because we were arguing and fighting over uh, Calvinism and Arminian, Arminianism. So she was an Arminian. I was a Calvinist. And, you know, when we were dating, you know, we just kind of uh, swept that under the rug. Mm -hmm. like, well, we'll talk about that later. But after we got married, and especially the more I grew stronger in it, and the more I was teaching it at the church, it really led to fights. And, uh, and there was a lot of tension there. Um, but, I mean, some people have said, oh, even James White said this in, in reference to me on his podcast once. He, he said, well, Stratton wasn't really a Calvinist. Like, really? I was willing, I was basically willing to get divorced over this. Maybe not divorced, but I was, I was willing to sleep on the couch. Right. I was willing to fight with my wife over this because I thought she was dead wrong. Well, uh, anyway, to make a long story short, in 2008, I started seeing the need for apologetics because some of my students in my youth group were asking some tough questions 
and I couldn't answer them, and they were becoming atheists. One, one young man became an atheist. He was in my Bible study for two years and became an atheist. I watched him become an atheist right in front of my face, and I couldn't do anything about it. So I started getting into apologetics. Um, that's really what launched most of uh, this journey now that I'm on. Um, so I started, you know, I found this guy named William Lane Craig, and I started watching his debates. Well, in one of his debates, uh, the one against uh, Christopher Hitchens, he makes a passing comment that he thinks Calvinism is false. And I was like, oh, no way. I mean, I was, I was loving this guy. Oh, no. and now I hate him. You know, right? yeah. I was like, I've got to disprove this William Lane Craig. You know, oh, and no. so, uh, I started and, 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 and then I remember Googling um, uh, William Lane Craig Calvinism. I didn't even know what to Google at the time. And all the stuff on Molinism started coming up. And so I started studying Molinism. And so this was probably around 09 or maybe 2010 now. I can't remember for sure. Um, but I started uh, studying Molinism in uh, an attempt to defeat it. So I was, you know, initially I was adamantly opposed to Molinism and I had to, dis had to disprove it. So I spent time studying probably almost every day. Uh, for around a year or so, I started, I studied Molinism in an attempt to defeat it, uh, and, you know, hoping to debunk it. However, one day, I think it was Super Bowl Sunday, uh, or I'm, I'm almost positive it was during the, the Super Bowl, um, it clicked. I think it was in between the third and fourth quarter. Uh, it clicked. And if memory serves, I think it was, I don't know for sure what year this is, but I think it was when the Green Bay Packers won their last Super Bowl. Okay. So I'll have to look that up. Oh, um, man. That was but, a while uh, ago. Yeah. But <laughs> it, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. But that was, so I'm sitting next to a pastor friend of mine who uh, also had a degree in philosophy. And so we were discussing this. He'd been doing some of this journey with me. And so for the first three quarters, uh, you know, including over all the commercials and over halftime, which is probably good, we were discussing uh, theology and uh and Molinism. And he seemed to grasp it as a philosophy student. And I don't know if he affirmed it, but he understood it. And I remember as we were just talking back and forth, um, I think it would be fair to say that he came to affirm it as well. But yeah, it was in between the third and fourth quarter, it clicked for me. And I was like, oh, wow, wow, this makes sense. And it was like, uh, man, I had a whole new I was looking at a whole new world. I, I could make sense of so many things. Then. And I remember, I remember saying, wow, I guess I label myself as a Molinist. You know, I said it that day and I, and I sat back and enjoyed the last quarter um, and watched a whole bunch of football players freely performing. They were not <laughs> predetermined to win. <laughs> well, yeah, they're not uh, puppets on strings. God right. It wasn't causally determining all that, right? Oh, but wow. he predestined it. So, yeah. so I, it made sense to me and uh, my life's been changed ever since. At that point, I had no intention of doing a PhD focused on this issue. In fact, at that point, I was, I was still just really focused on things like the Kalam cosmological argument and the moral argument, things like, like that, just trying to figure those out. Right. Um, but anyway, all these years later, here I am. I have a PhD in the, on the topic <laughs> in the wow. field. And 
That's crazy. Yeah, so it's yeah. been a fun and wild ride. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, um, if somebody was, uh, you know, kind of weighing their view, whether they're a Calvinist or an Arminian, and uh, were kind of wavering between the two, what sort of resources would you recommend? Like, what did you use to kind of help you study it out and look into it? Obviously, you know, we can definitely recommend your book. Uh, I've not gotten all the way through it yet, but but it's been a fun read for me. And uh, but then what else did you use, you know, that, that kind of helped you study it out and understand it and everything? Yeah, well, I appreciate the, the plug for my book. And I, I, I will just say that, that I just read, uh, guys, um, somebody wrote a, uh, a book review about it. And I just read it today. And he and this guy, uh, this reviewer said that he thinks uh, if you're new to this topic, that my book is is a must read it's the it's yep. the one you ought to start with i, think I, I agree with that too so. because you're balanced oh, and cool. you actually cover all three views and how they sort of relate so definitely i uh, would recommend that one as well but yeah i was cool. just thank you yeah thank you um so yeah what did i use um i remember reading uh the only wise god by william lane craig it's a little book published by Whippenstock, the same publisher that published my book um, but I would recommend that one. Um, so let's see, we got the only wise God. We've got a, a book called salvation and sovereignty by Kenneth Keithley that helped me out. Um, oh, what else? Uh, Tom Flint's work. Um, really good. That's probably a little deeper. I probably want to start there. Um, but it's a really good book. Uh, Kirk McGregor's book, um, is a biography of Luis de Molina. Uh, that's a must read. Uh, See, that well one's one that's I want to check you know, out, man, actually. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's also a scholar that uh, writes in a way that everybody can understand. Um, so yeah, those would be, um, those along with my book would be where I would, you know, I'd point people to, to read those first. Um, and also uh, the, so many articles on freethinkingministries.com. Uh, easily half of our articles are related to either Molinism or free will issues. Um, again, we, we focus on other things too, from apologetics in general and these different arguments for God's existence and uh, the historicity of the resurrection and things like that. And then, you know, book reviews and movie reviews and things like that. But I bet half of our articles on freethinkingministries.com are at least related to Molinism issues. Um, and uh, also make sure to check out our podcast. It's called the Free Thinking Podcast. And again, our YouTube channel, uh, the Free Thinking Ministries YouTube channel, we discuss these things. So, so again, those would be uh, the resources that I would recommend as you're starting out on this journey. All right, great. Um, so do you have anything else uh, coming down the pipeline? Anything big happening for Free Thinking Ministries or you personally that uh, you'd like to plug or share or anything while you yeah. have the chance? <laughs> yeah. No, thanks for asking. That's a, that's a, um, yeah, it is exciting what's going on right now. So I just submitted my first chapter um, for the Mere Molinism Study Guide. So yeah, oh, if you want to start out with my book, well, hopefully, I mean, I don't know how long this is going to take. Uh, uh, for uh, my my uh, my colleague Timothy Fox, who writes for Free Thinking Ministries, we're uh, working on this Mere Molinism Study Guide together. And uh, um, so, by the time we're done with that and that gets out, and I don't know, maybe it'll be a year from now. I, I have no idea, but we are working on a study guide to accompany the book. 
Um, and so with each uh, chapter, it's going to discuss some of the main points. It's going to have a little section about going deeper, even pointing to some things that uh, uh, might not have been discussed in the book or maybe might need some clarification, some things that since I've published the book said, you know what, I could have uh, said a few things uh, slightly differently. Well, it's going to be included in that book, um, in the study guide. That's so cool. it'll be it'll be much smaller, you'll have some uh, some room to write in it and things like that, probably. Um, but I'm excited just that it's going to go a little bit deeper in uh, certain parts as well. And I'm still going to try to keep it really, uh, you know, just kind of easy to understand if possible. Awesome. Uh, so that's the, the mere Molinism study guide that I'm working on right now. And then I'm also working on a book providing a rigorous philosophical defense of an argument I call the free thinking argument, which is is a, a central argument in my book, um, concluding that humans have libertarian freedom, at least some of the time. And so I, I've got, you know, I've just got one chapter, chapter 12 is focused on that argument. And I've had many people kind of say, hey, we want more than just uh, one chapter, we want you to interact with uh, any possible objections and things like that and i'm like all right that sounds like a great plan so i'm co-authoring this with another philosopher wow. um i've been studying for the last several months now almost any philosopher i can find who uh, might uh disagree with it um and uh trying to uh, find the best arguments i can and, and uh, so far i've uh, been very happy with um, you know, I, I think that uh, the argument is uh, standing strong, if not getting stronger through this process. And I can't wait to uh, finish writing this and get this published. So I don't know how long that's going to take either. It's probably going to take a little bit longer um, since it's more academic and rigorous. Um, but uh, yeah, that's going to be focused on uh, a rigorous philosophical defense of the free thinking argument. So that's stay awesome. tuned for that. Yeah. Um, what else am I working on? We got a free thinking ministries, the website, we're going to have a, a pretty soon offering a curriculum for pastors. And that's a project I'm working on with a, a local pastor who just graduated with an apologetics degree from Houston Baptist University. His name is Richard Ang. And uh, actually, he's one of the guys that helped uh, to get me started um, blogging back in probably 2014, um, maybe early 2015. And uh and so we're, we're doing this project together. Um, and yeah, so a, a curriculum for pastors that will be offered on the Free Thinking Ministries website. And of course, I've got more uh, videos on YouTube coming out, more content, more mm -hmm. content on the, in the podcast and on the website. So yeah, we got a lot of stuff yeah. um, coming around the corner. And really You're, busy. <laughs> You're busy. You're yeah. <laughs> busy. Wow. Well, yeah, that's... I'm, I'm teaching at a... Uh, at, at trinity theological seminary uh as well so uh yeah i am busy <laughs> but, wow. but i'm having fun i'm never bored no obviously not you don't have time to be bored <laughs> so <laughs> oh that's great uh so so important stuff you've talked about throughout the entire interview you've made references to the marvel films and the dc films to comic books and to star or star wars and all of that stuff so important questions, possibly the most important questions mm -hmm. in the interview. Who's your favorite comic book character? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man, that's tough, dude. So tough. I mean, 
growing up all right so it's going to depend on the on the day really what side of the bed I do gotcha. i wake up on probably um uh how many cups of coffee have i had in the morning you know things like that <laughs> but no growing up i think my two favorites were batman and wolverine so wolverine was going to be my favorite marvel and uh, uh batman would be my favorite dc character um but the more i I don't know. I, re I really like Captain America's character yeah. and uh, the Marvel uh, movie universe that we've uh, mm -hmm. that we've been watching over the last decade or so. Right. Um, really like that character's story arc, and um, you know, in the in the movie Civil War, you see, you know, that that provides a microcosm of what's going on in our country right now, uh, with the you know good people disagreeing and, and willing to split over it and what is dangerously close it seems to me to a civil war um you know hopefully i'm wrong about that but at least a cold civil war you know um and and you see uh how captain america is willing to stand strong and plant himself next to <laughs> next to truth um, and stand for truth no matter what um even if the whole world comes against him uh mm -hmm. i really resonate with that and so maybe my favorite uh superhero right now might have to be captain america no. um that's that's where love... i was not that long ago too i back in the uh winter soldier uh storyline in the actual mm -hmm. comic books and stuff he was and and right after 9 11 he kind of had this yeah. uh rebirth in the comic books and all of a sudden they were pouring right talent and storyline into him and kind of making him relevant again so for the yeah, longest yeah. time i would agree with you with captain america but, as well <laughs> but now they're making a gay captain america marvel i saw that books. So, I, so, I, I saw uh, that i don't know yes i don't know well, the, the need for i'm just that, gonna but... ignore the stupid yeah i'm not i'm just gonna ignore it. no i won't ignore <laughs> it i will do a youtube video on it i'm sure uh, sean mcdowell one of my uh he's a former professor of mine now now a friend um, but he just did a, a good article uh, discussing it. And it's like, hey, who's the enemy of uh, this new LGBTQ Captain America going to be? Uh, I mean, you know, back in the 40s, it was clear it was the Nazis. Well, now who is the enemy of uh, the new gay Captain America? Well, I'm sure they're going to make it uh, Christians, evangelical Christians and conservatives uh, you know, <laughs> and conservatives in general, you know, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's going to be a problem, right? So right. anyway, yeah. uh, <clears throat> yeah, you gotta, you gotta take some of this with a grain of salt, but the traditional version of Captain America, absolutely love him, And, uh, um, and especially loved the character and the movies, um, recently. He was the, uh, he was the so only one in the movies that got a lot of character development. I think, I mean, Tony Stark had a little bit. Uh, especially yeah. towards the end of the phase but um but i think captain america you actually see a big story arc all the way through and, and actual yeah, character really development mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean when he catches thor's hammer at the end <laughs> of uh of Endgame, yeah. man. I'd I I even loved it. the tease <laughs> in Avengers Two where he can move it. <laughs> like even that scene, right, right, it was right. like you just oh okay, like, what? yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, but dude, man, I mean, when you see Thor's hammer flying through the air, 
I mean, I'm thinking, oh, well, okay, Thor's going to catch it. And then you see Cap catching it. I mean, dude, I'm like fighting back tears just a little bit right now because it just hit me so hard. I, I, I've never yelled like that in a movie theater during a movie before. I mean, I, 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 I was like screaming like a little girl. Um, I mean, it was like, it was like being, you know, I, I said this in a, in a recent interview, I, I said, that was like, you know, having your team at the Super Bowl that you're emotionally invested in and a come from behind victory um, at, at the end of the Super Bowl. I mean, imagine that Super Bowl stadium erupting like that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the movie theater did. And mm-hmm. you think about, you know, bringing, bringing back the uh, how divided our country is right now. We've been divided for a while, but that movie brought everybody in that, everybody in that theater and all theaters across the nation were united. So it shows me that there is a, it's possible to get us united once again. And maybe it's through good stories, which sadly, um, well, I mean, movie theaters have really been sh- shut down lately. So right. maybe that's a. No, uh, I, I kind of wanted to, to ch- touch on that earlier when you were even just talking about uh, the way that you grew up and your parents used um stories like star wars and things like that to sort of help support the truth of the gospel and everything but hero fiction in general honestly the idea of somebody standing up for the oppressed the idea of somebody standing up for truth and for well i mean we we can be superman and captain america both stand for truth justice in the american way right and uh those those things are things that everybody can agree with everybody can stand on everything everybody does get united you saw that during 9-11 where everybody this surge in patriotism and the idea of of uh coming together as a community that was all there but now when you look there are things that i like about you know the witcher and stuff like that but there are no pure heroes hardly at at all outside of Marvel and DC's movies. And even that sometimes they try to, to, to mess with, you know, and, and, and kind of make them great. They mess with it. Yeah. But, but they can't mess with it too much or, or it's not likable. Right. Um, It's not going to be successful. And so you have to ask yourself, I mean, that's why every good story is going to steal elements from the gospel um, and, and from, what I call ultimate reality. And when it deviates too much, I mean, there's some, I mean, that's why I don't think this uh, gay Captain America is going to fly. No, uh, because so you start de- deviating too much. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely not going to be successful, but uh, the masses aren't going to uh, enjoy it because it doesn't emulate ultimate reality. Right. Um, so anyway, I, I do love Captain America. I still love Batman. Um, and I, I do love uh, both the Marvel and DC uh, heroes, love Star Wars. You know, Luke Skywalker was my hero growing up. Um, but, you know, today I love the Mandalorian. Um, I, I'd say that the Mandalorian is now my favorite Star Wars character. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, so I was going to ask that actually who your favorite Star Wars character was because Will and I disagreed but neither one of us said the mandalorian so now it's a three-way split no. well uh I, i've got a i've got an article on freethinkingministries.com 
that's entitled uh, 10 Reasons Why the Mandalorian is My Favorite Star Wars Character. Awesome. And I'd say half of those are theological. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So <laughs> nice. I want people to, yeah, make, make sure you go check that out. I will. <laughs> um, uh, let me know what you what's your What's your favorite, like, franchise then, nerd franchise, like, overall? DC, Marvel, Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever it might be. What, what would be your favorite? Man, that's so hard. I know. That's why I did um, that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, these are the hard questions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll so I'll tell you all of them that I loved growing up. I mean, Star Wars probably had the biggest impact on me. But then uh, Marvel and DC were both right there with them, uh, with Star Wars. I also loved G.I. Joe growing up. Oh, wow. And Cartoon and toys. Comic books also. <laughs> the toy. Oh, man, I had all the toys. Uh, but the, the comic book, the G.I. Joe comic book was awesome. And the, the Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes uh, uh -huh. story arc was very character <laughs> arc and storylines were just awesome. Um masters of the universe he-man and all the <laughs> skeletor i love the transformers i mean yeah i was big in all those toys uh man but but yeah it, it's gonna it's gonna be between star wars dc and marvel star wars had the biggest impact on me growing up um and then man i, I i'll just say that uh these the Recently, the Marvel storyline is just so good. Um, and I've really, really enjoyed that. So it's maybe Star Wars had the biggest Im impact on me growing up. Uh, Marvel is having a big impact on me now. And DC had its time of impacting me too. So really hard for me to answer that question. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> I, I understand yeah. that's, it's like that because I like, I like all of those franchises, but uh, honestly, I, the older I get, I lean more towards DC because I've like DC's characters typically are more pure. So the good guys are mm. good guys and Marvel yeah. likes to play with the gray characters like Moon Knight and Wolverine a little bit more. And so it's yeah, not as much yeah, heroes as, as the DC characters. But, and then I'm a Star ever, Trek nerd. So more than oh, Star Wars, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, well, hey, hey, but, but but let me bring up Wolverine. Did you see the uh, X Men cartoon from back in the nineties? Where oh, of course, Wolverine yes. Saturday. actually gives his life. He, 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 but he becomes a Christian. He basically that, gives gives his life to Christ. I don't remember He's that like, at all. No. Yeah, you can uh, you can find this clip. Um, oh wow, I've seen it. I've shared it on my Facebook page. I have to. I, I, I have to find that. The, I don't remember seeing that. No, line, but I didn't watch all of them, but mm -hmm. I did watch some of them, but man, I've seen this and it's like, dude, you're kidding me. I can't believe this was on uh, Fox on kids back in the nineties. Right. Yeah. It would never be <laughs> no. never find it now, but <laughs> no but yeah, way. The gospel is basically, I think it was a nightcrawler was sharing the gospel with them or something like, you know, well, nightcrawler was, really was a so, uh, Catholic priest, even in the comics. Right. So, right. Right. Yeah. That would make <laughs> sense. So cool, dude. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, That's funny, man. Yeah. Yeah, oh, good stuff. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time, Tim. I, I We had a little bit of trouble getting set up and everything, but I appreciate you hanging in and, and then coming on and being willing to talk and have a little bit of fun and explain everything. And uh, I really do appreciate your time and appreciate your your work and uh, being able to put into words what I have always believed, but didn't know how to explain. So that's that's pretty <laughs> amazing. And, and that's very cool. And, and hopefully maybe you know, with, with you being so active and so busy and so passionate about it, 
maybe you'll be able to bridge some of that gap or, or through your ministry and through your work and, and answer some of those tough questions and maybe we can all get along a little better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. That's definitely my hope and my prayer. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, at the end of the day, I just, uh, my passion is uh, to bring God glory and to see his kingdom um, just advance, um, see people come to know the truth about reality um, and to come to know Christ. So that's, that's my ultimate goal and why I get up, why I get out of bed every morning. And uh, so I hope, I hope this stuff, um, you know, that it just helps see that happen. Yeah, so absolutely. anyway, thanks for having me on your show. And um, I had a blast talking with you. I think we're kind of cut out of the same cloth mm-hmm. in many ways. So uh, let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. That'd be great. Thank you. Hey guys, I really hope that you enjoyed that podcast and enjoyed that interview and listening to Tim and some of that stuff, even in the time while I was taking or doing the interview was just so, uh, so amazing to listen to and so interesting. And I hope that you guys were blessed by it too. I really do strongly encourage you guys to check out Free Thinking Ministries and check out his book, Mere Molinism, and keep your eyes out for new stuff coming out from Free Thinking Ministries and Tim Stratton in the future. Again, if you guys were blessed by him, follow him on Facebook, follow him on Twitter, check out his blog and his and his ministry, Free Thinking Ministries. And while you're at it, check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Like and share the podcast. And uh, as always, you know, thank you for stopping by. <laughs>